Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific stocks are trading higher this morning. On the back of a solid night of gains on Wall Street, Tokyo is trading up nearly 1%. Investors in Australia have returned from a long weekend in a buying mood as well. The ASX 200 in Sydney is up two-thirds of a percent. Seoul is lagging behind though. The Cosby is flat. Joining me now to break down all the market action, including the stories of two locally listed companies that are potentially running afoul of regulators. Ryan Huang, good Tuesday morning to you. Morning. Is it only Tuesday? <laughs> I feel the same way. All right, let's start this Tuesday morning with the story of two small Singapore listed companies that are trying to make it big in Malaysia's booming glove making industry. The Aspen Group and the Enviro Hub Holdings have been busy making deals with varying degrees of success. One company announced a big commercial win prematurely. The other disclosed a significant milestone nearly three weeks after the fact. And now both companies find themselves in hot water with Singapore regulators amid concerns that their lack of transparency has hurt minority investors. So Ryan, I want to start with the Aspen Group. What exactly is it accused of doing wrong? Well, the waters are warming for sure, not hot yet because that is what the article is calling for for the SGX to scrutinize it a bit further. And this is all around the controversy that's being raised from two recent developments. So let's start with Aspen. So Aspen, for those who are familiar with the company, they are more of a real estate developer. Um, And in recent times, they have made their plans to diversify into glove making. And that saw them recently in April announcing that they had a supply deal with Honeywell worth around $210 million. So that was around April the 13th. But just less than two weeks later, April 24th, it retracted that statement and said the deal was not able to be consummated and that sparked a bit of queries, a bit of controversy because um, it raised expectations that a deal was done much earlier and then for some reason, it was not done after all. So this was around how it actually might have known about the um, situation much earlier but did not disclose it as early as it could have. So that is the point of contention here, why it was not as forthcoming in terms of disclosure. So that's for Aspen. All right. Aspen shares have dropped 30% since the announcement of the now scuttle deal with Honeywell, by the way. Ryan, walk us through why regulators are looking into EnviroHub. Okay, so EnviroHub is a recycling group and they are also diversifying into making gloves. And this is over its announcement on May 13th where they announced that they got regulatory clearance from the US FDA for its nitrile medical-grade exemption gloves. So this has caused some people to raise questions around why um, it took a bit of time to announce it when they could have done it earlier because um, it turns out that they had received that clearance on May 13, but only announced it on May the 18. So this was something that has um, sparked some point of contention why they didn't want to be clearer. So it's a bit of an opposite situation where they decided to just wait for further 
um, indicators or further signs of a confirmation before going forward to make an announcement. On the flip side, for Aspen, they were a bit more, um, well, forthcoming. I would say not forthcoming, but more jumping to the conclusion in a way that the deal was not done, but they went ahead to announce it. And then later they had to retract it. But on the flip side, EnviroHub wanted to be more cautious and they just waited a bit longer than maybe they could have um, done. So that is what's happening right here now where you have a situation where maybe companies need a, more, need a bit more guidance in terms of how they should be forthcoming with disclosures. Because with what happened with EnviroHub, they, in a few days after they made the announcement, went into an acquisition with what's uh, known as Pestle Glove. That is a Malaysian glove maker. Mm -hmm. So the contention here is the lack of disclosure here might have made it such that the market was not aware of the actual value of uh, Pestle Glove and, of course, uh, EnviroHub because they had that deal under the belt. So that was not disclosed when they made that acquisition. So that is um, what's uh, being debated right now. So this is about data, this is about disclosure and for the Aspen Group it's a case of too much too soon and for EnviroHub maybe too little too late. EnviroHub shares have jumped 22% since the company received US regulatory approval to sell its medical grade examination gloves in the US. The bulk of those gains though came before EnviroHub told the public about the news. Since then the company's shares have been up just 8%. Let's turn to the broader market now, investors have their minds on inflation once again as the U.S. Federal Reserve begins a two-day meeting this evening. Now, the big question is whether the rising prices that we've been witnessing of late are transitory or whether they're part of a trend. Now, the answer to that question will drive Fed policy and its decisions about when to cut bond purchases and raise interest rates. So, Ryan, if we look at commodity prices, which have risen sharply this year, we're starting to see some divergence between products. Oil is trading at its highest level in more than two years, but prices of things like copper, corn and lumber, well, they're starting to retreat. Tell us more. Yeah, you do have a couple of interesting numbers to look at. So that question is inflation transitory depends on what numbers you look at. And if you look at some of the indicators you pointed out, oil is taking up higher on the back of higher demand. But if you look at what's happening with lumber prices, which actually hit a record high in May, that has since uh, slumped 40%. So that is an indicator of the housing market and construction market in the US where people are typically quite more hands-on and just buy wood for construction purposes or DIY, home improvement um, reasons. So that's an indicator of housing and spending sentiment on the home front. So that seems to be easing. Copper prices also seem to be easing from an all-time high. Recently, it was trading at around $10,000 per tonne. Now, it's pretty much just below that. And you have steel futures pretty much trading sideways as well. So that is painting to, pointing to how some parts of the commodities market may st- have hit peak inflation. That's what some people are calling it. So it does lend to the argument that some effects of the inflation numbers we've been seeing might be transitory. So you have the Fed trying to weigh between whether these inflation numbers will stay around for quite some time or whether the um, factors that are driving these numbers will go away. And these include things like supply chain bottlenecks and just 
a base number effect from last year when you had a steep drop-off in demand. So that's all part of the consideration when you look at what the Fed's going to say. Now, one high-profile investor who thinks that inflation is here to stay is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon. He says his company is, quote, effectively stockpiling, unquote, cash, rather than using it to buy U.S. treasuries or other investments. So why is he stockpiling cash? Well, the reason, he says, is he wants to keep it for his war chest, which is to buy more high-yielding assets when interest rates go up. So pretty much he is believing inflation will be here for quite some time and will be going up higher, and he's waiting for the Fed to raise rates or at least guide for them to do so. So he has parked aside nearly $500 million worth of cash. Uh, So that is the cash hoard that is being um, kept by Mm. JP Morgan Chase right now. And it's also one of the reasons why net interest income is down for JP Morgan for this uh, first half of the year. So this has seen it, of course, um, not being able to make money from its money, so to speak. And that's why I saw its net interest income expectations for 2021 at $52.5 billion instead of $55 billion, which it disclosed back in um, February. So a bit of a um, revised downwards number for its net interest income because it's parking cash for an opportunity that might come when interest rates go up. Most US investors, though, don't seem too worried about inflation or higher interest rates, at least not this morning, shall we say. The Nasdaq and the S&P 500 both hit new record highs overnight. Tech stocks led the way, with the Nasdaq jumping 0.7%. This week is also going to be a hectic one for new listings in the US. There are at least 15 IPOs, including a German psychedelic company, an Asian digital finance services provider and a Chinese second-hand electronics company. Ryan, tell us more about what investors should be looking out for. Yeah, so it is a bit of a interesting time for IPOs. You still have the market appetite for IPOs going by what's coming up in the pipeline. And we are looking out for 15, at least 15 companies expected to raise a total of $2.5 billion. One of them is a consumer genetics company, 23andMe. Yeah, I heard a lot of people talking about it. I'm not sure why it's called 23andMe. Do you know why? Uh, Something to do with the number of genes, perhaps? Mm, Perhaps. So that's going to be expected to trade on NASDAQ. And this is, um, of course, after the company's acquisition by Richard Branson's SPAC, VG Acquisition Corporation. And this was approved last week. So the other one we are watching out for um, is... Walk Me. So this is a customer engagement platform looking to raise $282 million. So it has applied to list on the NASDAQ. So we've got a few interesting basket of interesting companies listing here. And I think you've got quite a common theme here. Up and coming technologies, up and coming startups, uh, which have a lot to prove in terms of um, whether they have a business model. Yeah, and the German psychedelic startup is called Atai or Atai Life Sciences, and they are looking to develop treatments for mental 
health disorders. Really interesting. All right, next up, I think we should perhaps call this our youth segment or let's educate older people report. That's what we should call it. Uh, We have two corporate segments to talk about here, which younger listeners may know well, but others perhaps not. The first company has displaced Amazon as the most downloaded shopping app in the United States. And the second area has regulators here in Singapore concerned that young people may be accumulating too much debt. All right, let's start with the U.S. Ryan, what is the Chinese company that has dethroned Amazon from the App Store? So this new company or this newly popular company (laughs) is called Shein. It's pronounced Shein and it's spelled S-H-E-I-N. I always thought it was Shane. I have it on my phone. Well, I'm not sure <laughs> why it's spelled that Shein. way or yeah, you're right. why it's um, the way it is. Mm. But it has broken Amazon's streak as the most downloaded shopping app. And this streak lasted for more than four months. Deals so, are unbelievable on it. And we are talking about $4 shorts. Yeah. We've got you know, pajamas, t-shirts How under $10. suits for like 10 bucks. So it is in a way quite similar to the prices you might see on Taobao. But I think that is what is the success here. It gets access to a lot of US customers who might not be able to navigate Taobao. But the quality is better as well. Well, the quality might be better. Mm. And I think that is part of the reason why many of the consumers in the US, the younger ones, are turning to it as the next big thing. So cheap prices, good products, that seems to be working well for it. And on top of that, it has been riding what has been a regulatory change. And this was brought about by the U.S. trade war, U.S.-China trade war. So in response to some of the U.S. tariffs, China effectively waived export fees for direct-to-consumer companies. So Ah. that was good news for Shane or Shein uh, because it was able to just make more money that way. So this has seen it just grow tremendously and reach this part of the population which are spending their parents' money. So (laughs) it is a very lucrative market. Yes, so the trade war tax relief saw China eliminating 13% of taxes for any package that she in or any other exporters sent abroad. So you can imagine what kind of growth that spurred. Now, our second youth segment is an area called Buy Now, Pay Later or BNPL. Their popularity is leading regulators at the Monetary Authority of Singapore to take a fresh look at these BNPL companies. All right, Ryan, educate older people. Yeah, it's, um, I would say it's been a model that's been around, but it's now packaged it's such that it's on a technology platform mm-hmm. and it's more accessible and in a way maybe even trendy because it's being marketed so much. It's BNPL, Buy Now, Pay Later, and some names involved include the likes of Rely, Atom. So these are giving, in a way, spending power to some of these Gen Zs and millennials uh, who are now able to borrow to buy now and then pay later. So that's, of course, raising some concerns because you do have this situation where you might end up with people over-leveraged right now when they borrow more than they should or can afford to borrow. So this is what central banks are starting to take a closer look at right now because it can lead to ripple effects with um, the system more systemic risks, for example. And in 
China, that actually played out to a more uh, extreme extent where you had the Chinese regulators clamping down on Ant Group because they made it so easy for mm. the youth to borrow money. And in some cases, without a strong credit history and pretty much allowing them to use their money to buy stocks. So there is this um, situation where this money could just lead to more risks, lead to more risks um, for the population that might not be able to manage these risks. Yeah, got to look out for those late fees always. They range from about $5 to $60. I've had experiences of, you know, some of these um, buy now, pay later firms. They come up to you when you're in stores where you have a tendency to overspend, like Sephora, where you can go bankrupt in minutes. Just kidding. Um, And it feels like, oh, it's hassle-free and it's easy. But, you know, always, always look for the actual fees that you're going to be paying if you miss a payment, if you're going to be late. In other local news, the latest economic report from the MAS is pointing to strong economic growth here in Singapore, 6.5% for the full year, while a survey of business sentiment looks optimistic as well. So Ryan, in brief, what do investors need to know about these surveys? Yeah, it's um, pretty much one number, 6.5%. So that is the growth forecast for this year. And this up from the 5.8% that the private sector economists were eyeing just three months ago. So it is an improvement in terms of an outlook and this is because of a few things. The manufacturing sector is a bright spot, but it is still headline numbers. You still have quite an uneven recovery. Some pockets of um, the business community are still hurting. So on a headline basis, you do have a 6.5% growth outlook and that's above the 4 to 6% window that was the official forecast from the Ministry of Trade and Industry. So all in, a bright outlook partly due to base effects, some parts of the economy doing well, mm-hmm. but it will still be an uneven recovery. All right, we're currently 22 minutes into the local trading day. Yesterday on the Singapore Exchange, DBS, OCBC and UOB all finished in the red. But shares of the insurance provider Prudential jumped 11%. Overall, the Straits Times Index finished marginally lower at 31.53. So Ryan, how is the SDI trading this morning? It looks like it's bouncing back from yesterday. So it's now in the green by 0.3%, uh, 3,164 and a quick look at the STI. You've got pretty much split across the middle for green and red. Right at the top, you've got DBS up 1.3%, leading the way for the three banks, which were among the top losers yesterday, dragging down the STI. At the bottom right now, you've got the likes of the aviation counters, or related counters, uh, SETS and SIA down by over 0.7%. And Gunting also down 0.4%. Uh, 5% right now, giving back those gains from yesterday following its um, the announcement that it made a bid for um, the Yokohama Integrated Resort. So that could have uh, effect, uh, be a factor for this morning. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. You're with us here on Market View. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.